Well, good morning. I'm Dana, and as Jay said earlier, it's really great to be with you, whether you're in here on campus or online, we're just thankful that you're here, and I'm thrilled to be able to share with you this morning, except for one of the things that I'm going to do is I'm going to bear my soul to you here at the very beginning, and I'm going to share with you one of my addictions when I was a child and through my growing up years. And I don't really like to share my faults, but I'm gonna go ahead and do it. So this one is one that came to me very naturally. It came through my mother and my grandmother who we called Nanny. And it is that as a child, I mean, I remember just as a young child, um, I was addicted to daytime soap operas. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine things like as the world turns, the guiding light? I mean, some of these are still on. Some of you remember them. I remember running home from elementary school to watch Dark Shadows and then hiding behind the chair because I was so scared. I also remember that my mother, I can't believe she did this, but she named my younger sister Lisa. And Lisa, I wish it was like my mom, but it wasn't. It was like the bad girl on As the World Turns. How can you name your own child this evil woman's name? It was just, I couldn't believe it. But through the years, I have to admit that, you know, as I grew up and into my teenage years, I was still addicted. And then into my early 20s as I was at college, I remember being in the student lounge watching, which was the most popular soap opera at this time, General Hospital, <laughs> with Luke and Laura and all of the turmoil things that they did through. I know, can you believe it? Can you believe those were the stars? <laughs> But they had all the turmoil of breaking up and getting back together, and eventually they got married. And we would stay there in the student lounge till the very last minute, guys and gals, until we had to run to class because we needed to see what was going to happen with Luke and Laura. The cliffhanger for the weekend, oh my gosh, it was terrible. Now, why would we do that? Well, we would do that because... We didn't have iPhones where we could watch it whenever we wanted to or DVRs or anything like that. And if you missed, you had to hear from your friend and it was never as good that way, was it? You needed to watch it and be engaged in this great story of General Hospital with all the ups and downs and the good people and the bad people and what was going on in their lives. Now, I know you're sitting there judging me, but just think about some of the things that you watch, binge watch, no less. But we couldn't do that, so we had to do it this way. The cliffhangers kept us coming back for more. And we have been in this journey, this journey of Abraham and the story of Abraham. And we are learning from him. It's kind of this, they were calling it this field guide of life, of how, learning how to love God. And so we did a couple of weeks of series of um, the main point was loving God means being loyal and committed, even if it costs you or when it costs you, because it's going to cost you like Abraham leaving his home, not knowing where he was going to go, but following this new God. 
And then now we're in the second week of of how loving God means trusting him even when it doesn't make sense. Like when you're waiting on something to happen that you've been waiting for a long time, just like with Jason. And we're going to continue in this series. And one of the things that this story of a man who lived thousands of years ago, why it impacts us is because it has the same kinds of elements that good stories have. There's conflict. There are characters that do good things on one day and not so good things on another day. And so the part of the story that we're in today, I want to just admit up front, it's a hard story. There's all kinds of emotions that may come up for you. I wouldn't be surprised as, as, as we read it as, if you're not angry, if it doesn't make you sad. It may be even stirring up some emotions in you from past experiences that you've had or maybe even experiences that you're in right now. And what I want to tell you is that it's all okay. All of those emotions are okay. But I also want to encourage you not to just stay with the emotional part of it, but to also open up your heart to what God may be wanting to say to you today through this story of Abraham, but also through your own story or in your own journey, or maybe the journey and the story of people that you know and are close to, or even stories that you hear on the news that sound a lot like this too. And so as we go into this, let's pray and ask God to really allow our hearts to engage with him for the things that he wants to show us this morning. So would you pray with me? Father God, we do thank you for the journey of Abraham and the things that were a part of his life and how we can glean from him and we can learn what it looks like to love you. But we also thank you for the parts that aren't so good, too, because each one of us has those kinds of things in our life, too. So help us to listen to you, to learn from these people that lived thousands of years ago, but to know that it affects our lives today, too. And we can hear from you from their story. Thank you, Jesus, that... All of this is possible because of you, and we pray in your name. Amen. 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 So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 16. We're going to start with the first six verses and then look at the characters a bit, and then we're going to add some more to it. So it starts with this. Now, so there's two main characters, Abraham and Sarah, whose names have been changed. In this story, it's still their names before God has changed their names. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. 
Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she's, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Wow, that's a hard story to hear. It's a hard story to read. It's a hard story to understand. The relationships are all messed up and mixed up. The person that we think of that's the hero Abraham, we've been learning from Abraham and how he trusted God and moved and, and, and left his home and how he built these altars to him to worship him in different places along the way. And then we get to a story that just does not seem like Abraham at all. So let's look at each of the characters and see what might be have, have been gone, going on in their lives during this time. Let's start first with Sarah, Sarai. So she's been in this story previously, but we've mainly heard of her as the wife of Abraham. We haven't really heard a lot of her of even speaking prior to this. She is moved when, he, when God told Abraham to move, she moved with him. She even had an opportunity to um, be used because Abraham, she was very obviously very beautiful because he said when he went down to Egypt, he said, pretend that you're my sister because when they see how beautiful you are, they're going to want you and they're going to kill me to get you. So another crazy story, you're going to have to read it another time. But this was a part, and so she did what Abraham said. But now she's at an age where she's about 75 years old, and she has no children. She has no children in a culture where really the only thing that women were raised for was to have children, to be wives and mothers, but not spoken of a much more honor other than being a mother. She lived in that culture. She's an older woman and she has no children. So she does what was normal in her culture. And that was, there were no doctors for infertility or anything else. And so what often happened, especially in more wealthy families, is if a woman did not have children, she passed upon her slave to have children for her, somewhat like a surrogate mom. This was culturally acceptable. Was it right? No, it wasn't right, but it was the culture of the day. And we do things today that in 20, 40, 60 years from now, people will look at us and say, really? What were you thinking? So we, it does not excuse her behavior it does not excuse her choices because what Sarah did is she said, I know God has promised that we are going to have, that Abraham is going to have a child, but maybe God doesn't know how to accomplish this. And so I'm going to help him out. And so she begins to take control and do what she thinks may make this happen. And she gives her slave to Abraham. 
This is not God's plan. It's not what he chose. But this is how Sarah felt like she could accomplish something in her years of waiting and waiting and waiting. So then what about Abraham? Abraham, I mean, he's the father of our faith. Just last week, we learned how God promised him again that he would have a flesh and blood heir. But really, there's no mention necessarily of Sarah before this. So I guess we could excuse Abraham too and say, the culture, this is common culture, and so maybe you're going to have a flesh and blood heir through someone else other than your wife. Although that's how God designed it, man and wife have children together. Abraham, the father of our faith, he's really very passive in this story, isn't he? Sarah says, hey, we're going to do it this way. And he says, okay. Sarah says, oh, no, now it's your fault. And he says, whatever you want to do with your slave, you can do. He's very passive in this, not necessarily what we would think of as the hero of our faith. A lot of us would want to look at Abraham and just cancel him, just cancel him out of this story, cancel out anything that we can learn from him because he does not seem to be very godly in this situation. And what I want to tell you is that you're right. Abraham is deeply flawed. Just like you and just like me. And he made choices that did not honor God and God's promises to him. But over and over again, we see in the story of the Bible how God chooses to use deeply flawed people like you and like me and like Abraham. But then there's Hagar. Wow. Her situation is very, very difficult. She was a slave. Maybe she had been given to Sarah in Egypt when they were there with the Pharaoh many years before. She's probably a younger woman. This is her, her lot in life. But she doesn't really have control over anything in her life. Sarai, Sarah says, I'm going to give you to my husband, and that's what happens? She's called a wife, but it's a lesser wife. Wherever you go, whatever you call her, she is not in control in her, of her life. Someone else has control of her life. Someone else is making her decisions. She's mistreated, and she doesn't know what to do except to flee, to go out probably in a desert wilderness area where she doesn't know she'll even live when she goes out there. She doesn't know what will happen to her unborn child. But anything is better than where she is. And so she flees. So we have three characters, Sarah, Abraham, and Hagar. It's really easy in this story to pick who to root for, isn't it? But it seems desperate. There doesn't seem to be any route for a good ending to this story. Hagar 
is out, brokenhearted, possibly going to die. In the greatest tension, in this greatest moment of tension, this is when God steps in. God steps into this story at this time. In verse 7, verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that was beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? He knew where she had come from. And he knew she didn't really even know where she was going. But he began to interact with her and call out to her and call her by name. She said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will be, give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your mis misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. So not all of it sounds really great, but some of it's okay. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Ber Lahai Roy, which is there between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abraham, Abram a son, and Abram gave him the name Ishmael. How do you think Abram knew what the name was going to be? Because Hagar was able to share the story of the angel coming and visiting her. She had a son to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. The angel of the Lord seeks and finds Hagar, this Egyptian slave that nobody else gave value to. He goes out in the desert and he finds her. And he calls her by name and he tells her that this child that she's going to have, name him Ishmael, which means God hears. And she names the well God sees because God hears and God sees her distress. Now, I know it still doesn't, I mean, how can God send her back to the same situation she's been in where she was mistreated? I mean, I think that when God steps in, he's supposed to change everything for the better. He's supposed to make, make it just like I want, so then, you know, take her to a different place. Help her find more family, someone who's going to love her. I don't know what, but my picture doesn't look like, okay, Hagar, go back to the woman who mistreated you. Go back to the man who is the father of your child, but passive about you and allowed you to go off into the desert to die. Why does God do this? Why doesn't he just change everything about the situation? I wish I knew. I don't really know. There's some reasons why. Maybe God wanted Sarah and Abraham 
to have to deal with the mess that they made and take care of this woman, Hagar, and her son, Ishmael. Maybe God knew there was no other place that Hagar could go where she would be provided for. Maybe he knew that she would die in the desert if she didn't go back. I'm not sure the reasoning, but this is what I do know. This is what Hagar says. She says, you are the God who sees me. I have now seen the God who sees me. She named the well, the well of the living one who sees me. I think Hagar, maybe for the first time in her life, felt deeply loved, deeply cared for, deeply seen. And when you know you're deeply loved and cared for and seen, especially by the God who created the universe, then you can trust him even when it doesn't make sense. You can go and do what he says, even though you may still have fears and doubts and concerns. See, she went back to the very same situation, but everything had changed because she knew God saw her and God knew her name. That's why she could go back even when it didn't make sense. There are three characters in this story. Sarah, Abraham, Hagar. Each of them have a different journey. Each of them are going through different things at the time of this story. Each of them, you may be going through something like that. So Sarah, let's think about Sarah. She's been waiting and waiting and waiting for something that she deeply wants. She probably doesn't feel very valued either. She hasn't heard from God. Abraham's told her what God has said. But maybe she hasn't experienced the same kind of deep connection or hearing from God. Some of you here, just like Sarah, you're waiting for a child. And you've been going through infertility, maybe even had some miscarriages, some struggles. Everybody around you, all of your friends are having baby showers. And you're still waiting. And the pain is so deep inside. You don't know what to do. You just want to do something. You just want to take control because you don't know that God is going to do anything for you. Or how about Abraham? He sees his wife in great pain because she hasn't had a child and he has a promise from God. But the thing that he does is he doesn't listen to God. He listens to Sarah's voice. He's had these wonderful, wonderful experiences with God. But he also says, maybe there's a different way. 
And so he begins to listen just like the world says, don't listen to God, don't trust him. There's no way this is going to work out. You're 85 years old, your wife is 75. How is God going to do this? And so instead of staying true to what God has promised him, Abraham starts to listen to voices around him. And so he doesn't walk by faith in this. And then there's Hagar. Maybe you feel like you don't really have a lot of control over your life. Maybe it's your boss that does, or your abusive spouse, or your ex-spouse, or the court's ruling. Maybe there's all kinds of things where places and ways that you don't feel heard or seen or God that God knows your distress. See, Every one of us sometime in our life will probably go through all of these experiences. It's just which one are we in now or which one have we just come out of? Because this is life. But what do we do? How do we wait? How do we trust God when there just seems like no way that this situation is going to turn out good at all? How do we say, God, even when it doesn't make sense, I'm going to love you? there's no easy answer. There's no easy answer to it. But Dave in the book, he's given us four things that we might focus in on in times like this when we're struggling, when we're waiting, when we're listening to other voices, when we don't feel heard or seen. And here are the first, those four points. The first one is submit your whole life to God. Your whole life. I mean, that is, it seems impossible, doesn't it? Okay, so just submit as much as you can at this time and be in the journey just like Abraham, just like Sarah, just like Hagar. Just be in the journey of this relationship with the living God of learning what he's like and how he will meet you and how you can trust him. Be in that process of turning your life over to God. It's about that relationship. See, Hagar didn't just come up on a a well or something like that. No, she had an experience with the living God of knowing who he is. And then secondly, walk daily with God. Every single day, say, God, what, it is, what is it that you want to be doing in my life? I want to listen to you, not just when you're in trouble. That's what we do most of the time, isn't it? Is we come to God when we need something, but not it's that daily building that trust with God so we can believe him. And then third, do your level best. Make the best choices you can. Steve and I have a a saying, and it's this. We make the best choices we can with the information we have at the time. We listen to God. We have our relationship with him. We seek him, and then we do the best we can to make a decision and a choice that we feel is in line with what he has for us. And then lastly, whatever happens, happens. Man, life happens, doesn't it? We can't control the things that happen in our life. We can only control how we respond and react to them, just like Hagar did. And she responded by listening to God. 
and then doing what he asked her to do. So as life comes along, trust God even when it doesn't make sense because there's so many things that don't make sense. There's so many things in this story that still doesn't make sense to me. I would do it differently. I would change the story. I would change the outcome. I don't like this cliffhanger really. But that's what we need to do. We need to learn to love God even when it doesn't make sense. And it's not easy. But taking things into your own hands and trying to control it and listening to the world doesn't make things turn out right either. This world is broken and we are flawed people. But the promises that God gives us is that he can see what is going in front of us and that he sees us and he knows us. If you want to get to know this God a little bit better, read the Gospels. Go and see what did Jesus, what was Jesus like? How did he respond to people? Look for places like Matthew chapter 9 where it says multiple times that Jesus saw. Jesus saw the faith of a man and his friends, so he healed the paralytic. Jesus saw Matthew, a tax collector, a hated person, so, and he says, follow me. Jesus sees a woman who, had been, who touched his cloak to be healed and speaks to her. And he says, your faith has healed you, daughter. And he touches her when no one, no one there in that culture would touch someone that was unclean from a blood flow. He sees the crowd and he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, we have a God. That same God who saw the distress of Hagar sees us. He sees what we're going through and how we're waiting and how we are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So a different story, TV series, over our sabbatical, Steve and I had a chance to watch The Chosen. Some of you may have watched it, some of you may have not. But um, this is a first, this is a, a TV series about um, Jesus and his followers and those that love him. And here's a picture of the, the you know, promo of it. But so we had a chance to watch it. And I know we're pastors. And so you probably think we watch a lot of religious things all the time, but we don't. But we got hooked into this one and we began to watch it. And as we watched it, here's the thing that I liked the most about it. The thing I like the most is Jesus's eyes because the character who portrays him in this, every time or most every time you see him, he's looking on love and laughter at someone in the series. And as I watched his eyes, it just, it just touched me. And I would look over at Steve and he'd be crying every time. He's the crier in our family when we watch something. But Jesus' eyes just touched me. And then I realized that I had seen those eyes before. I mean, not the eyes of the actor, no. 
But I had seen those eyes of love directed towards me over and over and over again in my life. I'd seen them as a child, even when he knew I was watching soap operas. I'd seen them as a teenager when I was struggling to fit in. I'd seen them as a young mom and wife, not really knowing exactly what, was, what God wanted me to do with my life. I saw those eyes when I was confused and lonely when we moved to California and my mom was back in Texas very sick. I saw those eyes of love over and over and over again. I saw them when I was broken to the core when our son Clay died. He looked at me and he said, I see you, Dana. I hear your distress. I see your struggle when you have to wait. I hear your grief. So what's the one situation right now for you where you need to be able to trust God? What's the one situation? I know there might be more, but just pick one where you need God to see your distress. You need God to see you and you need to hear your name. And then give him an opportunity this week to see how he speaks to you because the situation can be completely the same still and yet very, very different because God sees you. And it's about what God can see that's important. What Hagar's story shows us is that when we have an experience with the living God who sees us, then we can be in the very same situation and everything can be different. It is not what we see that is primary, but what God sees. Loving God means trusting him when it doesn't make sense because he sees you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you saw those people in Matthew chapter nine. Thank you that you saw Hagar and visited her through the angel. Thank you that you even saw Abraham and Sarah and all of the mess that they were making. And thank you that you see me. Thank you that you are engaged in our lives and that we can trust you. We can trust you on the journey. We can trust you on the path, even when it doesn't make sense. And we come before our Heavenly Father through you. 